In March 2020, the Bolton Wanderers footballer Fabrice Muamba collapsed on the pitch with a cardiac arrest during a match with Tottenham Hotspur. It took 78 minutes for the heart to be restarted. His family asked for prayers and hashtag pray for Muamba trended almost immediately and continued until the news came that he was expected to recover. Everybody remember that? Commenting on this phenomena, BBC journalist Mark Easton wrote, Have you prayed for Fabrice Muamba today? His family are exhorting the country to believe in the power of prayer, and I suspect many millions of Britons, whether they have faith or not, have felt moved to offer a silent appeal to an invisible power asking that the young footballer pull through. The front page of today's Sun, notice that, can't remember the last time. Well, I'm glad I can't remember the last time I read this one. But <laughs> the first, <laughs> is this going out? Oh, yeah, it is. No, no. Never mind. Yeah. Bless them, Lord. <laughs> All you journalists in the sun, bless you. <laughs> the front page of today's Sun newspaper is devoted to the headline, God is in control. Do we live in their days of signs and wonders? <laughs> This is the sun. <clears throat> God is in control. Below the subheading, pray for Muamba. In God's hands, says the Daily Star. Some of you obviously don't know the Daily Star. Well done. <laughs> in God's hands, says the Daily Star. Chelsea defender Gary Carhill pulled off his shirt after scoring yesterday to reveal a vest encouraging supporters to pray for Muamba, his former teammate. And it kind of made me think, has the recent, yeah, have the recent terrorist attacks and the Grenville Tower disaster, has that attracted the same kind of headline? And it's almost, it's kind of fickle in our media, isn't it? Sometimes something will happen like that, and there's a kind of wave of sympathy. Something's, you know, something touches the nation, or something comes up in the nation. Something maybe about prayer and about God that just produces a headline in a most unusual and unexpected way. And yet, I guess if you've been following headlines, you know, uh, and I may have missed them, but I haven't seen something quite like that. It's been glorious, actually, to see how the church has responded in the Kensington and Chelsea area and other parts, you know, Manchester and other parts of London that have been affected by, you know, recent troubles. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that we will never know the half of what God is doing through those things. But I felt it was, you know, when we put together a preaching rotor, we never know quite what date you're going to have. And, uh, I mean, it's on a timetable, so you do know what date you're going to get. But you don't know what's going to be happening around that time that you might be preaching. And I thought it was significant, really, that this came up at this particular time, and I was going to preach in this way, and I had no idea what I might preach on, except that Wendy Backland, if you remember Wendy and Steve Backland's visit here, just in part of one of their, their talks, Wendy kind of highlighted Isaiah 35 and said, or she, she just said to us, I think God is highlighting that passage for you as a church. And at the time, I didn't, you know, I kind of stored it away in my head, uh, didn't rush away, unfortunately, uh, to, to read it. Um, vaguely remembered what it was about. And then just recently kind of looked it up again. 
And I thought, that's the passage that is speaking into the life of Eastgate and, in fact, beyond that, into our community, maybe even into the nation. And so in a moment, we're going to get that up on the screen, and we're going to read it together as a declaration, right? Declarations are things you can do with Scripture as well. Um, in fact, we're going to, we'll put it up on the screen in a moment, Jane, not quite yet. And we will, I, I want us to kind of silently just read it through, uh, so that when we come to read it out loud, we kind of know what we're saying. You know what it's like sometimes, the words go up and you go, you know, okay, so I want you to kind of get hold of some of the meaning of the words and actually kind of whatever, whatever's, I mean, just to pre-warn you, there's joy, there's gladness, okay, so put some joy, put some gladness into the reading and I believe that God's actually going to speak to you even as you read, read his words. As you read scripture, God's going to do something in your heart that's going to bring hope and uh, transformation Because if our nation ever needed hope and transformation, then it does now, doesn't it? Not just because of those tragedies, those disasters, but, you know, somehow, you know, particularly at this time, we need to know how to respond as Christians and how to kind of live our lives. And I believe there are keys in this passage to help us to do that, which actually isn't just for our benefit, but actually will bless many other people through us. Amen? Are you the people for whom God is working? Yeah. Good. Are you the people that are going to bring hope? Yeah. Yes. Are you, going to pre- are you going to be the light that shines in the darkness? Yeah. Are you the salt of the earth? Yeah. Are you the light of the world? Yeah. Yes. Right? Always hesitate about that. Oh, Jesus is the light of the world. Yeah, but Jesus, the light of the world, said you're the light of the world. It's interesting, isn't it? So don't take it on my authority. Take it from Jesus' authority, Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. Can we say that again? I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Turn to the person next to you say, you are the light of the world. Turn to the person on the other side say, you are the light of the world. So Jane, if we could get Isaiah 35 up on the screen. Let's go, let's go back to verse 1, Jane. And let's stand. And let's say this together as a declaration of hope and light into our community. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become like a pool, a thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. 
No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Amen? Amen. Right, let's have tea and coffee. (laughs) It's an amazing chapter, isn't it? It's an amazing chapter. Actually, this comes at a point in Isaiah's prophetic career. It's really quite interesting because the nation is pretty, in a pretty desperate state, a bit like ours, right? There is uh, all manner of immorality, all manner of sin, despite centuries really of God sending prophets like Amos and Isaiah and others to bring the people back to him and remind them of the covenant and their covenant obligations to obey God and to live a godly life. Despite all that, the people are still turning away from God. They're worshipping idols, even to the extent of sacrificing children you know, to false gods. That's how bad it had become. And at this stage, the, if you know anything about the history of Israel, then you've had the ten tribes, the northern tribes, have actually been taken into exile. 722, the ruling power in that area of the, of the world, the Assyrians, had swept in and taken all those tribes. And those tribes completely lost for the rest of human history. So you had two tribes down in Judah, and Isaiah was a prophet into the, to this small enclave, no, no bigger than the size of Wales, really, probably, possibly even smaller. Two tribes left, and he continued this tradition of just calling people with God's mercy back. But they were, but they were amidst all the doom and gloom, there were passages like this which really kind of stood out. In fact, they stand out so much that modern commentators have said, well, surely Isaiah couldn't have written that. Kind of strange, well, you think God is a God of hope and life, that he wouldn't actually, in the midst of saying, well, there's judgment for your sin, but actually there's hope and restoration and transformation for those who will look for it and find it. And this whole chapter really is trying to paint a picture for people who are in desperate need. That's why it's a great chapter for us at the moment. Whether we've been touched by the recent tragedies or disasters or just, just feel an empathy. I think most of us will feel an empathy with, that, with people you know, in those kind of situations. Literally just up the road from us, some of those things. And Manchester itself, not very far away. In fact, I was at a party last night where people from Manchester it kind of suddenly brought the whole you know, thing up in Manchester really, really close to home. So what is it that this passage is teaching that we need to get hold of? If we're to be the people of hope and the people of life and the people who are bringing, uh, you know, extending love and grace to other people. Well, if we put the, uh, the uh, passage back up, Jane. All this stuff about the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. Anybody got crocuses in their garden? Not at the moment, but, you know, sort of, yeah, okay. The crocuses will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our gods. There's a vision here that Isaiah is casting about creation. And Paul actually picks up this vision in Romans 8. You might know the passage. We haven't got time to look at it this morning. 
But it talks about creation groaning, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Who are those sons of God? Anybody here a son of God, a daughter of God? Have you been revealed? (laughs) You're walking around revealing yourself all the time. Um, Let me just qualify that. (laughs) I just realized what I said because unexpected laughter. I must have said something very strange. This is going to not make it to the podcast. I can see it now. God is revealing through you. There you go. It's a good theological phrase. God is revealing for you his glory. You are the creation. You are the first fruits of the creation that's being transformed. You see, tragedies and disasters happen because that's not the way the world's supposed to be. That's that's where we start, really. This is not how it's supposed to be. If you felt an ounce of anger or or distress or anxiety around those things, and many other people have felt those, there's a sense of injustice about it. There's a sense of wrongness. There's a sense of sin about it, isn't there? Because that's uh, that's not the world that God made. That's not how it's intended to be. And here is Isaiah in a similar national crisis saying, God is about, is going to come and God is going to recreate not just you morally not just you spiritually but the whole of creation we've got this plant in our front garden at the moment in a in in a week the flowers have grown to about 10 feet tall it's amazing i don't know how it happened i'd like to think we moved in and god blessed the land and even the flowers are rejoicing right on the basis of this verse i take the argument any further but it's kind of interesting i think it's called a formia any botanist amongst us yeah they shoot up quickly don't they there you go i rest my case (laughs) well if god can do that in a plant in high house though where we just moved to (laughs) then he is in charge of the whole of creation isn't he and he, one day, he's going to remake the whole of creation. That's what we call Jesus coming back. That's what we call the second coming, where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But here at this church, and in many other churches like it, we believe that we are praying for heaven to come to earth, so we will see signs of what Jesus will do in the future right now. When Jesus comes back, every sickness will be healed. So we can pray on that basis that people will be healed right now. We won't see everybody healed because then Jesus will have returned. But we see a measure of it and we've been encouraged by faith to press in for more and more and more. As we'll see in these verses, signs and wonders are part of the people who bring hope. So your first thing about bringing hope is believing the bigger picture. Right? There is a time, there's a time when you know, people are in tragedy and going through difficulty where all you can do is pray for them and offer practical love and help. And that's absolutely right. I'm not kind of missing that. But actually, later on, you see the bigger picture. It's interesting, if you read in Matthew 14, how Jesus heard the news of John the Baptist's death. John the Baptist, like his second cousin. John the Baptist, who said, prepare the way of the Lord. You know, the Messiah is coming. John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus. He gets arrested. He gets killed. You know the story. It's interesting to see in Matthew 14, Jesus' reaction to the news 
of his death. Jesus goes, it says, Jesus went away to a solitary place. There was a time for mourning. There was a time when he just, all you can do is weep. All you can do is just be alongside people. You know then what it goes on, you know, the crowd seeks Jesus out. And as they come towards him, his heart is moved with compassion. And it simply says in Matthew's gospel, he healed their sick. Nothing derailed Jesus from the bigger picture of the new creation. Of the possibility that sickness and illness can be healed and will be healed in our lifetime. That's why we pray regularly for, and when we pray for the sick here, we're just saying, Lord, what you're going to do eventually to the whole world, just do some of that now. There is a new heaven and a new earth. So your hope is not to focus in, focus in on the people who are suffering, those that are, you know, bereft and so on, but actually also to see the bigger picture that this isn't how it should be. God is creating something new that's going to be glorious. Glorious like Lebanon, glorious like Carmel, glorious because it's full of the glory of God. The glory of God will be displayed over all the earth. Like as the waters cover the earth, so the glory of God is going to be covering the whole thing. That's what Isaiah is looking forward to. And that's what we can prophetically live in. And that's where we find our hope. Secondly, we find our hope from other people, don't we? Turn to the person next to you and say, I love encouraging you. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't really believe it, just make it a declaration. <laughs> if you haven't done it recently and you feel a bit of a fraud, don't worry. You'll have the opportunity to do this later. So we're halfway. Uh, Where's this verse 3? Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those, Jane... With fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. That's your job, isn't it? It's an irony that the, if you speak encouragement and hope to other people, so you will grow in hope and encouragement yourself. Why? Because when you're encouraging other people, it's another form of declaration. Say, I believe that I can encourage people, even if the depths of my heart you know, seem to be falling apart. Be strong. And very courageous, God said to Joshua before he went into the promised land. Here's the same concept. You have the power to impart strength to feeble knees, weak hands. What was the other one? I can't remember. There's three of them. Something about their hearts, isn't it, as well? Fearful hearts, yeah. So encourage one another. Encourage the people around you. Encourage them with, with this, you know, the truth that this isn't how it should be and God's got a plan for the whole of creation that he's revealed to us that we can share with other people. So encourage one another. What else have we got? We're a people of salvation. Behold your God. What does it say that? Oh yeah, he will come to save you. End of that fourth verse. God is a God of justice Although he could condemn the whole world, and rightly so, he has chosen to be merciful. So part of your hope, part of your response to this situation, is to go on telling uh, other people about Jesus. Just like Jesus responded to John the Baptist's death, first by, yeah, going away and being quiet, 
Maybe he just got alone with the father to kind of recharge his batteries, to get close to him. And then he was ready to just let the Spirit of God move through him and bringing healing into other people's lives. So you can share what we understand as the gospel, that Jesus died for us, that Jesus rose again from the dead, that actually 2,000 years ago, if you like, God put a stake in the ground, literally a stake in the ground, hung his son on that stake so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could start a new life. And if you don't know that, that Jesus, then we just encourage you, you can find him today. You can walk out of this room knowing God's peace and his love and his forgiveness if you put your faith in his son, just as we have. That ultimately is your hope. That's ultimately the thing that will turn you around inside. That's ultimately the thing that will bring you the life that Jesus came to give us all. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. You see, when Jesus came and did all those things, he healed the blind, the deaf, and the mute. No wonder that people wanted to crown him as king and say, the kingdom of God has arrived. Goodbye, Romans. (laughs) Goodbye, oppression. Goodbye, Herod, probably. (laughs) Goodbye, everything that's not good. Obviously, it didn't work out like that because actually Jesus was coming as a different kind of king. But nonetheless, his kingdom, you, you know, you can't fault the Jewish believers for realizing, well, this must be the Messiah because this passage, 800 years before Jesus, actually talks about the Messiah coming and this breakout of his kingdom where the blind see, the deaf hear, and the mute can speak again. And again, we believe that those things can still happen today because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the way that you can bring hope to people today is to go on doing exactly what Jesus did after he heard about the death of John the Baptist. After a period, the sick came to him, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So press in to all that we believe about signs and wonders. Press in to healing where you get that opportunity. Press in and ask God what he's doing in every situation in your life. That party was at last night. I was just standing there thinking, have you got a word for this, this guy who was sharing, uh, a young Christian guy actually, Pete and Katrina's uh, uh, older son, who's doing an amazing work in Manchester through an organization called Urban Challenge. And he was just telling me about some of the things he was doing. And I just, I looked at him, I said, I just have the word pioneer for you. He said, we are in a pioneering project that actually could end up saving the government millions of pounds. It's recognized as way above in terms of, I won't go into all the details, in terms of the response they're having in the community, it's far in excess of anything else like it. You don't know when you're encouraging people and whether you can encourage people, is it? It hasn't been easy. It's been tough working in some of the worst places in Manchester. But here's, here's just one word that hopefully was an encouragement to him. And you have that in you. You, each one of us has the ability anywhere, anytime. I love what Steve Backlund said. Every meeting I go to, and you can apply this to any situation, what is it I can do, Lord, that will encourage other people? You see, even in the sphere of our influence with several hundred people, how much encouragement could you release this week? (laughs) Just think about that. You are 
community-changing, nation-changing people. There's enough people in this room to change the world. Jesus did it with 12. And then several thousand joined up, obviously, later. <laughs> we sometimes forget, doesn't it? There's a, I truly believe there's the potential in any given church, the same potential that Jesus had with his first disciples. It has to be true, doesn't it? I mean, look at the lives of some of those people. Far worse than us. I mean, we're pretty decent English people, after all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. There's a potential in any given church to change the world, isn't there? And actually, we're on that mission to change the world, folks. We wondered how one church near, where is it, the northeast coast, northwest coast of America, could have a thousand students in their Bible school. One church. We wanted that. Now we're living a dream where we're beginning to attract people to that same type of school here. Now they're on to 2,000. We had 70 last year in our daytime school and several hundred in, you know, in, over a period in, in our evening school. And it's not just about our school, is it? Some of you have been through it already. You've done it. Right? Got the T-shirt. <laughs> and, and much more. <laughs> and uh, what else do we give people? Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, so encourage one another. Let's just put your hand on your heart. And if you're happy to do this, just say, I am going to encourage somebody this week. In fact, I'm going to try and encourage somebody today. I'm going, uh, how about this? I'm going to encourage myself. There you are. If you do nothing else, just encourage yourself. And then you'll probably find you're encouraging other people. Signs and wonders we dealt with. Lastly, then, two, two other things, holiness and joy. I like the way that, I wasn't going to do them together, but they go together, don't they? Sometimes we've had a concept of holiness that was all so serious. I am being holy. I remember, I was a very young Christian. I remember going to a church leader and he's saying, how are you getting? I said, I just feel so holy. I was, I was a student at university. The, the letters I used to write home started like looking like Paul's epistles. <laughs> Fortunately, when I started writing to Carol, who was not where I was, they didn't read like that. You know, so. <laughs> but, but I think I got hold of this kind of, you know, I've got, I've got to sound like the authorised version, otherwise I'm not being holy. You, some of you uh, under 30 are thinking, what on earth is he talking about? All those over, over, no, maybe over 50. Yeah. Anybody remember the authorized version of the Bible? Anybody still reading it? Hallelujah. Well, okay. <laughs> There's some good stuff in here. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. I mean, you can't get that in a modern version, can you? It's almost like Shakespeare. Where am I going with this? I have no idea. Holiness. It's a joyful concept, isn't it? And actually, just being a Christian today, you will encourage other people. They're not all out to persecute you. They're all looking at you and thinking, how on earth do they live their life like that? Whether it's in the realm of marriage or bringing kids up or just working every day and being honest. If you want to impact the world, be honest. Just say, I am honest. 
bit like the Americans taking the pledge, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, just being honest these days. I mean, we're not the only people who are honest. But actually, just being honest is a testimony to other people, isn't it? I love the fact when one of my next door neighbours, we were talking about doing a repair on the house, and he, he said, um, yeah, I could get that done for you, because he was kind of in building, he was, he was a carpenter, and he said, uh, you know, and if you do it through me, you won't have to pay tax. And then it was lovely. I thought, oh, no, it's one of those, you know, I've got a, I can't really do that. I'm a Christian, you know. And he says, and he looked at me and said, ah, you won't do it that way because you're a Christian, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> Saved all the embarrassment. <laughs> Something had communicated about my life that meant I wouldn't be dodging, you know, the, t- the tax thing that I'd have to pay if I was going kind of through the books. Just honestly say to yourself, folks, when I pay tax, I am blessing the nation. It's a whole different way of looking at your tax, isn't it? I mean, whether you pay too, whether you feel you pay too much or too little, it's a wonderful way. You are contributing to schools, roads, national health service. Amazing. Thank you, Jesus, for tax. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard somebody say that in church, have you? We thank God every time, you know, gift aid comes in. Hallelujah. You guys, we all give. And we get, and the government gives us, was it, what is it, Marion, Miriam? 21%, 25? About that. A quarter, 25%. (laughs) Always good at maths. Okay. Holiness. Let's live holy lives. Let's live joyful lives. Let's have those last few verses. I love these verses, isn't it? If only we knew the song, we could sing it. Last bit, last one, Jane. They will enter Zion with singing. Notice how often, well, it comes up twice. Everlasting joy will crown their head. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. It's again looking to heaven. Jesus suffered the cross. Why? Because of the joy set before him. It's amazing, isn't it? And we've been learning. Let me just... uh, It's a day of first today, so uh, let me read you from Henry Newman. Anybody heard of him? One or two. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It's a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, Emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that away. There are many definitions of joy, but that's right up there as as a good one, isn't it? Last time then, with me, I am going to be joyful. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are going to be a joyful person. (laughs) And all the more joyful because that's the last time we're going to do that this morning. Now, I just want to release holy chaos over you. It's a new impartation, isn't it? I wonder, actually, would, would Mark Gilpin and uh, Brian Smith just stand up for a moment? This is Mark and uh, Brian, two of our amazing evangelists in the church. Yeah, come on. 
And both of these guys at different times in, uh, this morning said to me, Dave, you're going to make an appeal to find Jesus, you know, to become a Christian. So I feel I've done enough already. You know, so, so it's now their turn. And, uh, but if you would like to know Jesus that we've been talking this morning, if you come and you really don't know Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, uh, as your healer, as everything that Jesus is, then just seek these guys out or some that you know. Uh, just talk to them and say, you know, can you just tell me, how can I know him? How can I be a follower of Jesus? And it was, uh, Joe was just saying to me earlier about uh, feeling the dampness on the floor of the bat- people who were being baptized. And that, that was like a sign that as they walked around with their wet feet, the metaphorical wet feet, they would be leaving footprints around, having an influence on people around them. And you can be like that. You can be part of the hope and the light and the life that the church of God is just shining into our nation at the moment. Amen? Amen. Now, here's the holy chaos bit. I just thought it would, one way of encouraging ourselves and encourage one another is just to, to break bread and take communion. So I rushed into the co-op this morning. I've got two bottles of wine and two fruit juices. Uh, you've got some plastic cups and some um, paper tissues and some plate. Oh, and some, and some rolls. Um, they're not freshly cooked, but uh, so you'll have to do all the unwrapping. Okay, so whoever gets there first, you can do that. Let's just go and let's just remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. The Jesus that died for us, his body was broken for us. The Jesus who hung on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven. His blood was shed for us. And as you go, uh, just up to the tables, I don't know if the, if the band can come back up. Can we, have we got any of the band left or have they disappeared? Okay, if you guys could just play something, that that would be nice too. Just go into either corner. The guys over in this corner, if you could pull the table forward, that will make it easier. And just share the bread with one another. Just take uh, the wine together or fruit juice if you prefer that. And uh, just bless one another. And, And here's an opportunity to encourage one another, to pray for healing if somebody needs healing, or to go and find Mark or Brian and just say, you know, I really want this. How can I find Jesus? Okay?